there's not enough action or something. Well, it's nice when they score runs, of course, and, and there's a lot of action. But a whole lot of what goes on goes on, in, in the, it's kind of like silence. It goes on at the silent moment. So uh, when when players are repositioning themselves or pitchers are trying to throw, figure out what ball to throw and those kinds of things. So I think it works both ways. Are you still there, Tony? I am still here. I was just—I was listening to your statement there. Okay. You—you well, you rarely, you rarely let me get away with saying anything without a response. And so when you didn't didn't respond, I thought, oh my God, he's died on me, <laughs> or he's left. He's going to get a pizza or something. But well, how is the baseball season going? Uh, uh, it seems like well, to me, uh, it seems, we've had the last controversy. Oh, go you, you go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, we've had lots of controversy this week uh, with the uh, commissioner's announcement that uh, they are going to begin even stricter enforcement of the foreign substances that uh, pitchers may or may not use uh, with uh, an automatic 10-game suspension when uh, pitchers are caught with foreign substances on the ball. And we've had the uh, huge drop in batting averages this year, huge uh, uptick in, in strikeouts. It has a lot of people in baseball very concerned. Uh, not only are we seeing the old Gaylord Terry type uh, foreign substances, uh, but uh, something new called spider tack, which a lot of pitchers have been using. And so this announcement was made earlier this week by uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred that the new rules will be going into effect. And you've already had a lot of pitchers uh, speaking out, saying it's not fair that you're enforcing the rules. And uh, Tyler Glasnow of the uh, Tampa Bay Rays claiming he was injured as a result of, of uh, not cheating. Uh, so it's, it's been an interesting week from that standpoint. I think I even read somewhere where, uh, maybe not this week, but there was a discussion of, of moving the pitcher's mound back a little bit. And, uh, you know, it, it has been manipulated over the years. I remember after 1968, they either wrote, Raised it or lowered it? I can't remember which because they raised it uh, the, the, in 1968. Yeah. Right, and uh, and one. Well, then you remember 1968 was when uh, uh, right. It had been raised prior to 1968, lowered in, in '69, and um, you'll recall that 1968 was uh, sort of the nadir of uh, batting averages when uh, Karl Yastrzemski won the American League batting championship with a 301 average. And that uh, provoked a lot of concern. And, of course, a lot of things in baseball changed in 1969 because not only was that the year that the uh, mound was lowered, but also that was the year of expansion and also the beginning of divisional play in uh, 1969. So many things changed between those two seasons. Well, the one thing, and it's connected to one issue you brought up, uh, and then, then we'll take a little break here. Uh, that uh, you mentioned that the batting averages are much lower, uh, and, I, and I've noticed that, that that in fact is true. And at 200 is, you know, sometimes regarded as a, a decent average. Uh, but there have been uh, a plethora. I don't know if that's right. There, there have been a lot of no hitters this year. Uh, yes. I think uh, I re- something like. Uh, Back in the 20s and 30s, they went several years without a no-hitter. In fact, it's something tells me that there, there was not a no-hitter pitch in Major League Baseball between the early 20s and the early 50s, but I don't know if that could be the case. 
I'm not sure about that either. I would have to check that. Uh, but we certainly have had a, a plethora of them this year, including uh, one by uh, uh, former NC State, uh, current Chicago White Sox uh, pitcher Carlos Rodon. And he's pitching for a team that has not done well over the last few years, but in fact is in first place in their division this year. And yeah, they're probably one of the most talented teams uh, in baseball, and uh, they were expected to do better last year than they did, and that uh, led uh, to the departure following last season of their manager, Rick Renteria, and uh, the coming out of retirement of the Hall of Fame manager, Tony La Russa, for his second stint with the White Sox. Well, you know I love baseball history, and I, I noted that, that within the last couple of weeks, La Russa has passed uh, John McGraw and is now uh, on the list of uh, winning baseball games and losing them. He's number two now after Connie Mack. Of course, we both know he's never going to catch Connie Mack. But, uh, and, you know, one thing that happened to him this week is he moved down a notch. Uh, he was the all-time leader in wins as the manager of the Oakland Athletics, not to be confused with the Athletics franchise total because Connie Mack simply was longevity there, but in terms of the Oakland Athletics, but he was surpassed by current manager Bob Melvin this week. So La Russa is number two on the Oakland list now. Well, I don't wish bad to, to Tony La Russa. He obviously has talent, but uh, Bob, is it Bob, Bob Melvin? Uh, he... Uh, He's done well with that team. Uh, Bob always... Melvin has done well, period. You know, he was, uh, he's been the manager of the year in both leagues. He was the National League manager of the year when he was with uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks, you probably recall, too, and then later won it twice uh, uh, with Oakland. Talking baseball, and that reminds me, John, you've got to fish out Tony's song for the half-hour break tonight. Um Tony, let's go away, and when we come back, talk about some other aspects of baseball. Maybe you could update us on the minor league situation and, and also the question about uh, filling up the stands. It seems like, uh, well, I, the Dodgers, one night recently was the first time that they were open to you know completely fill Most up the stands. Most teams are back to 100% now. Pardon me? Most teams are now back to 100%. Back to 100%. Okay, all right. I think the Yankees are either have just done it or are about to do it maybe this weekend because they – the person I was listening to, the commentator, uh, was saying uh, that the Yankees were about to to allow it for the first time, and that the Dodgers had just done it, and they, he sort of paired them in his mind. I guess they will be paired to eternity. But anyway, Tony Brigsby is our baseball guy always, and I just love it when he comes because we can talk about baseball and indeed other sports too, and we may do that tonight. And we hope you'll stay with us on WPTF Radio. Tony Rigsby is talking baseball with us. And, Tony, I raised the question of minor league baseball. I guess what I'm going to get from you tonight, among other things, is a kind of overview of how things are going. But how are North Carolina's minor league baseball teams, and particularly the one that you have an interest in? Well, I assume you're talking about the Durham Bulls. Well, yes, yes. And, you know, we had a very, very serious situation a couple of weeks ago uh, when pitcher Tyler Zombro uh, was hit uh, in the temple with a uh, line drive off the bat of Brett Cumberland of the Norfolk Tides. Uh, He was uh, immediately taken to the hospital. He was released from the hospital about a week later. Uh, He is still in Durham undergoing... uh, 
lots of uh, rehab, uh, occupational and uh, and speech rehab at uh, at Duke Medical Center, and uh, that hopefully is coming along really, really well. It was a, a very scary moment, and uh, I've seen two of those games that I've worked now, uh, the other being a uh, uh, spring training game between the Kansas City Royals and Cincinnati Reds three or four years ago when a Roldis Chapman of the Reds was uh, hit in the head with the line drive off the bat of Salvador Perez of the Royals. And in both cases, it was a situation where immediately when that happened, you knew this was extremely serious and uh, you could hear a pen drop in both ballparks. And uh, those are very, very scary moments when you have something like that happen. I've seen one or two pitchers dropped and I was telling John in my, my a brief baseball career I was a pitcher in Little League and I frankly was scared to death most of the time <laughs> that I was out there. I never got hit in the head but uh, I was noticing that they said he began to convulse almost immediately and that's, yes, I've never uh, seen that. that but that's not a good sign. Though. Yes, it, it, um, uh, it was almost immediate. He was uh, in the convulsions on the mound, and uh, uh, both trainers for the Durham Bulls and both trainers for the Norfolk Tide did yeoman work in uh, trying to stabilize him uh, until he was able to be transported uh, to the hospital. And uh, it was um, something I hope I never see again. Well, I, it always puts me in remembrance of, uh, of the day that... Uh, a guy who became a baseball play-by-play man, Herb Score, was pitching for the Cleveland Indians and was thought to be one of the really up-and-coming stars. And I think it was Gil McDougal that hit a line drive that hit him, and he neither one of them was ever the same again. Uh, yeah, that was in the uh, in the 1950s. Yeah, it was it was 1956, I think, as a matter of fact. You're too you're a little young. You don't remember that. <laughs> but I just remember. 1956. I was three years old. It was it was scary though. It was scary, and and Score was was going to be, you know, an ace, and uh, he he never was the same again. He had a, few, a couple of more decent years, but he was never the same. And McDougal, who was a really nice guy, uh, it, it affected him because I, I don't he he was bothered by having done it, done it. But um, of course, uh, as you mentioned, though Herb Score went on for many decades in the broadcast booth for the Cleveland Indians. As, as a matter of fact, he did, and uh, used to enjoy listening to him because their, their station is one of the ones that I could get in my car when I was driving, driving late at night. And I, uh, but but in any event, I thought about you recently because uh, I was watching MLB and they had the nine greatest baseball uh, announcers, and one of the commentators on there was a guy named Smith. Do you know who I'm talking about? Uh, not off the top of my head, no. He's, well, he's written a book about the great baseball announcers, and I can't think of his first name. He used to work in, in one of the oh, bushes. You, oh, yes. I, yes, I know exactly who you're talking about, who actually stood us up for a program one well, time many why, years that's ago. That's why I brought it up. I thought you would get a good story out of that. We were all, you and I and Dave Chase were sitting there ready to talk to the supreme uh, chronicler of uh, baseball announcers and uh, he had sent each of us a copy of the book, so he knew we were alive, and, 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 and but he just was not available. He didn't show up. He blew us off is what he did. And so, uh, I well, it's interesting, about... you know, when you try to rank all-time announcers, I mean, I, I think there, there are two who are head and shoulders above all the others, but 
it's always a matter of uh, personal opinion more than anything else and also of the style that you like. Uh, in my view, uh, Ben Scully and Ernie Harwell are uh, at the top of the heap. Well, he that, that that rating the MLB thinks, and they had nine because everything you know that program tends to have something involving nine in it because that's the number of innings and the number of players or something, whatever. But that's what the guy said anyway. And but their number one was the one that everybody would put number one, and that is Vince Scully. I think Ernie Harwell was uh, was fourth, I think, and in between were Mel Allen was number two and Red Barber was number three. So and I subscribe that to uh, the fact that they were in New York for all right. that time. Right. Uh, and in the, uh, in the 1950s, uh, a lot of the world, and particularly the baseball world, revolved around New York back in those days. And uh, Barber and Allen uh, were certainly at the forefront of that, as was Ben Scully in the early part of his career. Of course, people forget. Uh, you know, you have a lot of people who are just uh, huge Brooklyn Dodger fans who refuse to admit that uh, uh, they ever moved to Los Angeles. But uh, the Dodgers' history, much more of it in Los Angeles than ever in Brooklyn at this point in time. I was thinking recently that the number of years that they have been not in Brooklyn has now passed the number of years that they were in Brooklyn. And we need to pause right here. John... Uh, has said he's going to play a request for you, Tony, when we come back. Tony Rigsby is our baseball guy, and we're talking about baseball on WPTF. I'm talking baseball, the Motor City's team. Ah, that's dedicated to Tony Rigsby, who is a renowned Detroit Tigers fan. Tony's always good for, I always wait for him to mention Harvey Keene. And, uh, uh, and, and, of course, it. part of that trade for Rocky Calavito, controversial trade with the uh, with the Cleveland Indians, uh, that was uh, one of uh, two trades uh, with the Cleveland Indians that uh, were somewhat famous. And uh, do you know the unique status of the other trade? I think they traded managers, the didn't they? That's right, Joe Gordon for Jimmy Dyke. And uh, that's the only trade manager for manager in Major League history. And that was one that I've always thought was an interesting thing, and there was, and it isn't the Tigers, it's the Cubs. But the Cubs, uh, I know one year uh, Charlie Graham was the manager, and uh, Lou Boudreau or somebody, not Lou Boudreau, it was somebody was 1960, and it was Lou Boudreau. It was in the broadcast booth. Yeah. And they they took the manager and put him in the booth, and took the band in the booth and made him the manager. So it was That's Lou right. Boudreau. And of course, then. Lou Boudreau had been the manager many years before of the. Uh, of the Cleveland Indians, and that was one of three cents that uh, Charlie Grimm had as the uh, the manager of the Chicago Cubs. And I don't know if you remember this time, but that was in 1916 and 1961 was the year that uh, uh, Philip Wrigley decided to do away with the job of manager, and he had the College of Coaches come in for uh, 1961, 62, and 63, where they had rotating head coaches among the uh, College of Coaches for the Cubs. I remember it was many of them about committee. Now, I'm not sure I could tell you the name of any of those people. I'm, I'll bet you know some of them. The one who managed the most was Elvin Taffy. Yep, a Cubs. former catcher, right? Right. Okay. The very, first, the very first head coach, though, was a guy named B.D. Hemsel, H-I-M-S-L. 
Don't know that guy. Don't remember that one. Yeah, he's a longtime scout and minor league manager for the Cubs, and uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Jim Kittlesby, uh, was uh, a minor league administrator uh, in the Cubs organization those times, and uh, uh, he uh, was a good friend of Edie Hemsel, and Jim and I worked together in the Arizona Fall League for several years, and he has many great B.D. Hemsel stories. A really nice guy. <laughs> well, there was a guy that was playing for the Cubs along in there. It was from my hometown who rarely gets mentioned, and I'm so I'm going to mention him. Okay, his name was George Altman. You re- you remember him? So. Yes, I remember George Altman. As a matter of fact, I have a 1963 George Altman baseball card. I used to have one until my little brother got his hands on them and, and ruined them all. But you just don't hear George mentioned very much. But he was a decent baseball player. And I don't I have no idea what happened to him. I did not know him, but uh, he was from Goldsboro. Well, he was with uh, several. He was, uh, uh, you know, what uh, was commonly referred to as a journeyman playing for uh, several major league teams over the course of his career. Right, right. Uh, I think he was a decent hitter, if I remember correctly. Now, I'm, just to fill us all in, there's going to be an all-star game this year, and things are going to be back to normal in that particular area, area I guess. And, of course, that was something that uh, has been a source of huge controversy this year because the, uh, the all-star game was awarded to Atlanta, and the um, Braves uh, were preparing to host the game. As a matter of fact, so they were already selling the all-star game uh, memorabilia and clothing and uh, novelties. And then the Georgia legislature decided to uh, enact uh, controversial voting laws, and Major League Baseball pulled it from Atlanta at that point and moved it to Denver. So now the all-star game will be played uh, at Coors Field in Denver. Well, there's no answer to this question. I'm just throwing this up in the air. But what would Ty Cobb think of all of this? But anyway, in any case. Well, Ty Cobb would, uh, I I think Ty Cobb's one of those guys that, uh, uh, I don't know how to say it politely, but is on the wrong side of history most of the time. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I mention him only because he was a Georgian and and, uh, lived, I think, near Atlanta and was fairly well off because he bought, Coca-Cola stock early, if I remember correctly. Yeah, and, and, and of everything you read, a very miserable human being, too. Um, I, yeah, I've read some things recently that would reinforce that. You know, he was very lonely in his old age. He, he was very, very angry, bitter. but he was, and he couldn't figure out why people, nobody wanted to be around him. And uh, everybody and he was he very was wealthy, but he, he, uh, he wouldn't pay bills. He didn't have power for a while in a mansion that he owned. Uh, it's been some interesting uh stories written about him in his later and he lived until the 1960s right i think he died in 1961 as a matter of fact yeah yeah but I, I must have been reading from the same list or about the same list as you were okay let's go back again the, uh, you filled us in on this i think on an earlier program but the uh the induction into the baseball hall of fame will take place uh, along here somewhere and it will be uh, uh basically i think the people from last year is that not the case right there were no uh no players elected for this year but uh since we last talked the hall of fame induction ceremonies have been moved from july to september now i thought and i heard that 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 it was done so more people could attend as those restrictions have been eased and it will be held outdoors at cooper park and it will be a, a ticketed event uh this year in uh 
in early September. Well, I've, I've been to there a couple of times, and you've been several times, and it's a it's a nice place to go. It's a nice place to be outdoors. Uh, so. It is, and I was uh, uh, lucky to be there when it was outdoors in its earlier incarnation uh, for the induction ceremonies in uh, both uh, uh, 1982 and 1989, and uh, uh, something extremely memorable. And uh, I've been to Cooperstown on other occasions, but be there on Hall of Fame weekend, I mean, it is just shoulder-to-shoulder people. Because as you know, Tom, Cooperstown is a very small town, uh, and it is totally packed on right. a Hall of Fame induction weekend. Well, Stephen and I made a trip up there in the fall, and it was one where the leaves were falling down, and it was, you know, you could have been a little bit further up in New England, you know, those kind of romantic views uh, that you get and there. there. And, of course, and they were a van of literature, it's also James Fenimore Cooper country there, too. Right. Well, I would, the, the thing that, that that I would remark is that Mrs. Kearney and I were there one time, and she said, you know, I could live here. And I, that's, she's only said that about two places other than where we live. So I, that's, a, that's a check mark because it is a pretty place. They've got a lake, and the people go sailing, I think, and they used to play a baseball game there every every year about the time of the induction. I don't think they do that anymore, do they? No, they don't do that anymore. That You're talking about the Hall of Fame game. Uh, yeah. I saw one of those with the uh, the Mets and the uh, White Sox in uh, 1982. But, yeah, that uh, sort of went by the wayside a, a few years ago. But still a great place to, to visit. Um, I don't think I'd want to live there because it's awfully cold winters there, but it's a great place to be in the summertime. Oh, it snows a lot there, too. Um, yeah. One of the things that uh, I just want to remark about to be on the record is that uh, baseball has really changed because of the way the the pitchers are pulled and you know and they can't. I was having a conference with uh, we had a visit from my wife's cousin and his wife and his wife is a big Virginia baseball fan and she was talking to me about keeping score she had learned how to keep score and I said well I used to do that and she said how did you count the pitches and I said uh, to her Pam when we did, when I did it they didn't count the pitches <laughs> you just that was not something you did did and so on but the, uh, the, to have a, a pitcher for each in- inning or each third of an inning, and uh, uh, it's changed the construction of the teams because you have about twice as many pitchers now, and you have fewer position players, and position players have to be versatile, I guess you would say. Yeah, it's, uh, that's become, and I think there is uh, there is some talk uh, about limiting the number of pitchers on a team. Uh, perhaps as early as next year, and as a result of that, you would have uh, more position players available. She mentioned the Virginia baseball. Of course, we uh, should mention the fact that NC State will be playing in the College World Series this year for the first time since 2013, when that gets underway in Omaha this weekend. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I think it may be Saturday is when they play. and they. Yeah, I think 2 o'clock Saturday afternoon, I believe, is. They well, they they have so far the the last time they played the last three games they played were interesting in that they lost the first one twenty one to two I think and then they won the next two like two to nothing. Yeah, that was in the uh, super regional uh, in Arkansas against uh, Arkansas, which was ranked the number one in the country at that point. Right. Yeah, they beat the the number one seed, and so but they're they're in Omaha now and they've got a chance. And uh, yeah, and. uh, of course, so that it's only their third time to the College World Series, and uh, uh, 2013, and uh, you you probably recall back in 1968 when they went to Omaha. Right, I'm 
can you remind me of some players who were on the 68 team, or do you have them, have them at your... Uh, well, that, uh, that was a team that was coached by Sam Esposito, yep. and um, Mike Caldwell was one of the players on that team who went on to a long major league career. Well, the, the boys, uh, the two, I shouldn't call them boys, uh, the two guys who were twins, what, wasn't one of them a catcher on that team or something uh, like that? Are you talking about the Combses? Yeah. Combs boys, yeah. Frank, uh, Francis, and uh, Freddie. And Mike, tell me his name, last name again. Mike, the pitcher. Mike Caldwell. Was Mike many, Caldwell. Many years in the majors with the Milwaukee Brewers. Right, he went on to have a reasonably distinguished career, and uh, yeah, uh, I think I told you one time I, I taught his wife when I was pretending to be a history teacher at, at yes, NCAA. Linda. Yes, yes. Talking baseball with Tony Rigsby, and uh, we've uh, got uh, another quarter of the program left, so we're going to pause now and come back and see what Tony has on his mind. If if there's something that he wants to vent uh, on or talk about or whatever, explain right after this. Nine fifty at WPTF on Thursday night, June seventeenth. Uh, we're not very far away, by the way, from uh, from the beginning, astronomic astronomically speaking, of uh, summer. The meteorologist uh, uh, starts summer on June first, and it's June, July, and August. And uh, the, the the astronomers started uh, according to the stars when. Uh, when the, the Earth tilts a certain number of degrees. This is something you ought to know about Tony Rigsby, but in any event, I just wanted to acquaint people with the fact that uh, that the first day of uh, summer is just around the corner. Is Father's Day this weekend, or was it last weekend, Tony? Do you I know? think it's this weekend uh, coming up, Tom. And uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned the meteorological summer because uh, that's the one I tend to go with uh, in my conversations with the weatherman on Saturday morning every week that... Uh, Meteorological summer makes a whole lot more sense than uh, the astronomical summer because, uh, really, summer is June, July, and August, and uh, fall is October, uh, September, October, November, and winter. And the, the meteorologists, I think, are the ones who have it right. Well, and and the, what they do makes a lot more sense. And there's no real line there, you know, on the Earth that it says right here when when the sun is not directly overhead of this place, summer begins. You know, it's it's a uh, the, the the template that has been put down, whether it's astronomical or or meteorological, is has, is something that's construed by man anyway. But I'm I'm with you. I like it. it. Makes a nice neat package of three months and so on. It does, and it's more realistic, I think, too. And uh, uh, the uh, the astrological part basically just uh, is with our longest and shortest days of the year, and of course the the solstices in uh, in March and September. Is there any other baseball news that you think we ought to know? Any, any, anything that's happened? Well, Tom, the one thing I would say uh, is that I think we should pause and reflect about uh, how far we have come. Uh, consider this time a year ago, uh, minor league baseball was shut down, college baseball was shut down, major league baseball would not even resume its training camps until early July, and the season would not start until July 27th last year. Uh, this year, we're having a, a normal season. Uh, most of the teams have gone back to full capacity at both the major league and minor league levels. Uh, things are pretty much back to normal for the most part, you know, with a huge exception of the Toronto Blue Jays. But uh, 
Yeah, we have come a long way from what we were enduring as uh, baseball people a year ago. Indeed, uh, and and I think baseball has done what it could, the, the, the whole thing, baseball, uh, to accommodate itself to the situation and hasn't fought it and has worked to, to do the things. Uh, and, and part of what I'm thinking of here is the vaccination. For just a moment, there may be a few fans, and I may be one of them who don't know exactly what the, the Blue Jays are doing, but are they playing in, 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 in Buffalo? So they're playing in Buffalo now. They played April and May at their spring training site in Dunedin, Florida. Uh, and now they're at uh, the uh, normal home of the uh, Buffalo Bisons, their AAA club in Buffalo, at least through the end of July. Uh, we'll see if there's any chance of them getting back across the border for, um, for September. Uh, but uh, the Canadian border has remained closed, uh, and it's been a very tough situation for the, the Blue Jays. Now, there's been a ripple effect, the fact that uh, – with the Blue Jays playing in Buffalo, the Bisons have had to move Trenton this year because their ballpark is being used by the Blue Jays. So um, the old Trenton Thunder had ceased to exist as part of the contraction of minor league teams after last year, but the people in Trenton got baseball this summer in an unexpected way with uh, the Buffalo Bisons playing in that stadium. And I think if... Uh, I'm, I'm going to probably be totally wrong about this, but I think if you wanted to know what kind of stadium Buffalo has. If you go to the movie The Natural, I think that was filmed in the in the, in the the baseball stadium in Buffalo. Well, that was the old stadium. That was uh, the old stadium. They have a new oh, yeah. one then. Okay, yeah, okay. That was the old War Memorial Stadium. Uh, right, well, so, uh, this park was built in the 1980s, and at the time it was built, it was uh, one of the uh, very first precursors of the minor league uh, modern ballpark. Uh, and it's been very well upkept over the years and uh you know uh, one of our our colleagues uh with uh wpps josh zach at one point worked for the bison well i knew he, he was from buffalo and then i think his father is in the was on a radio station in buffalo and, uh, yeah his father john zach was on the air many many years in buffalo right well I, my next door neighbor is a buffalo buffaloian too so i get to rag him about the snow all all the time so well, we've just about uh, done it for tonight, Tony. Uh, I, I'm glad that you can take some time because you're a busy person because you work for the Bulls. You have a spring and uh, you have a sub before baseball season and after baseball season job in in the West, and uh, you work uh, uh, part time for WPTF. Uh, so we sometimes get keeps up me and off you the street, Tom. Yeah. Keeps you, keeps you out of trouble. Yeah. But he does have three. <laughs> He does have three animals who are his number one fans, and he's who are right here with me right now, yeah. performing before them tonight. So he's he's one of the good guys, and I always enjoy talking to you. It, it uplifts my spirit. I just miss having you around, so I can ask when I have a baseball question. I have to go and look it up on the computer or baseball almanac or somewhere. And I used to just have the chance to talk to you, but thank you again for being on with us, and maybe we can do it again. Okay, thanks, Tony Rigsby. Tomorrow night. Friday night will, of course, be Friday night trivia night. We hope you will join us for that. Uh, and uh, we have some interesting programs coming up next week, too. And so uh, thanks to John Sauter for being our producer, and we'll talk to you tomorrow night.